and welcome to Stand Tall, my podcast show. I look forward to sharing interviews and talks with and about people that create change, make an incredible difference and walk their talk. Everyone has their story, so stay with me as I hear about the layers of excellence in all walks of life. My next guest is my great friend, Gordon Jilks, Director of Dance Sport Confidence. The original architect of the Dance Sport program in 2006, Gordon has extensive experience and knowledge from over 40 years of dancing. This has helped him create a fantastic program and team that delivers the Dance Sport wellbeing experience. He started with 180 students in 2006 and grew in 2018 to over 9,000 students per week. Gordon represented Australia in the final of the 1995 World Grand Prix. Other dance achievements include 17th in the World Ballroom Championships, 6-time South Pacific Champion, Australian and Australasian Champion. Gordon is the President of Dance Sport Australia, the governing body for the World's Dance Sports Federation. Gordon, I first met you when you used to drop Lockie off for martial arts classes. Do you remember when that was? Uh, Andy, I think that was back in about 2005, 2006, something like that. Long time ago. A long time ago. I was so impressed with your positive attitude and zest, always looking to take your business ideas and levels never seen before. And that's seemed to be manifesting for you over the past couple of years, hasn't it? Uh, look, it certainly has. It, it's been a long journey. I think um, it has really sped up in the last four or five years um, and uh, it's, it's more been a matter of um, the focus on the business that's made the big difference. Excellent. When I first met you, you pioneered an outstanding business in teaching ballroom dancing to children. You started with 180 students in 2006, and by 2018, you, you and your team were teaching over 9,000 students each week. Yeah, I, I dare say you've you've expanded that since it's then. It's been a um, I dare say you've expanded since then. Uh, yeah, thanks, Andy. Um, we're we're up to about 13,000 students now, um, and we're in three states. So the 9,000 was predominantly in New South Wales and now we're operating in Victoria and Queensland as well. So it's, it's, um, it's, it certainly is growing pretty rapidly. The thing which really, um, from what I can gather from our conversations, one of the things which really rocks your boat with the, with the program is it's, it's so much more than just dancing. Yeah, thanks. It's, look, um, dancing is probably the least important component of the whole program. Um, when we first started, it, it was essentially a an opportunity for kids to uh, connect with each other and start to develop respectful relations. And in 2006, there was the, the Cronulla riots in Sydney and we, we were given a little bit of money by the Minister for um, for Sport at the time to to basically to start this program in some public schools in New South Wales. Now, we just taught them dancing to start with, but as we got better at it, we started to focus on more on the human relations side of it, how the kids actually interact, their eye contact, their tone of voice, how they speak to each other. And 
and I suppose there's another thing with dancing, especially partner dancing, is the, the physical contact. When you, you know, you're holding someone's hand and you're looking at them or you're connecting with them, you see that person in a very different light to what you might have in the past. And we're finding that kids were starting to change the fabric of their community and how they, like there were kids playing with other children that they normally wouldn't. Boys talking to girls, girls talking to boys in a very easy non-sexual way and uh, in a respectful way. And th this has been the essence of the, the growth of the program where the schools have felt really, um, that they felt a real shift in the culture of the school and the culture of the children and, and hence it's, it's grown since. How do you appeal to the cool side of kids to make this a really cool thing to do? How have you put the cool into your dance program? Because I think that this is very important for children. To um, it, the community yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, partner dancing is not a cool thing off the, off the top of the head for most kids. So uh, we have linked it to both sporting ability so dance actually is, is well known for, to, uh, to teach people dexterous movement, you know, fast moving from foot to foot, balance, weight control, shift, speed, all the things that you would need in, in every other sport, including martial arts or running or something like that. Uh, so we linked it to sport, number one. Number two, there is a, uh, a competition at the end and we do try to appeal to the, especially the cool boys, the surfing boys, the yeah, the footy players, uh, the ones that, you know, what might be, a, I suppose, a leader within their, their little group um, to get them on board very quickly. And this, this has helped a lot. I can imagine it's such a great way of getting the children to interact with each other that wouldn't normally be a part of that social group. Absolutely. In fact, if you see the fabric of most classrooms, you might have um, you might have kids that are quite academic. You might have ones that are sporty, uh, ones that are, uh, they don't really haven't found their their place. And oddly enough, it's the kids who who are sort of neutral that seem to start to shine. So it's not necessarily the sporty ones that do well in dancing. It's often the kids who are a little bit invisible and for, for whatever reason they have a, a natural ability or a talent and they suddenly become the, the, school, uh, the school hero because they're, you know, they're winning dancing competitions. It reminds me of the current uh, singing programs which are popular Television, television shows like I think one was called Glee. Yeah, yeah. And it just provided a, a real cross section into who goes into these groups and what makes these groups up, and it's and it projects cool all over it. Look, it, it does, but I think there's a bigger underlying message even in uh, shows like Glee, uh, because. What happens is a student finds, uh, metaphorically, they find their voice. They find their way to put an imprint on the world. And dance is just a medium, like no difference to martial arts, to any other 
um, sort of physical sport in a way. It is just a medium like singing. And if it if a, a child finds this resonates for them, it gives them that first stepping stone to growing as a human being and to uh, to finding their voice or finding their movement, uh, stepping into a spotlight, even if if the spotlight's only at school or if it's if it's in front of three thousand people. This body it's mind a major shift and that you have yeah. Do you see that as one of the key reasons for your growth and popularity? Absolutely. I think what what um, a, a good way to view this is through three or four different perspectives. The first perspective is the child. The child, uh, boy or girl, first of all, they have a um, an underlying desire to be able to talk to the opposite sex. They, they want to be able to talk to girls or boys. They want to be cool. Uh, they want to feel like um, they've got a, this. They're, they're able to overcome quite a big hurdle, especially around that year five, year five, year six. That's the first perspective. So dancing provides them with this tool to be able to connect with other kids or with with the opposite sex. Second perspective is the parents. The parents sometimes see the dancing, but most of all they actually see the growth of the child. They see the confidence change. Um, They see their kids doing something they could never have imagined, a boy wearing a bow tie and a white shirt, you know, walking out onto a stage with holding the hand of a a girl about to do a cha-cha. Could never imagine that happening. Third perspective is the school's. The schools are trying, are trying to find a way to engage the kids, to switch on that light of achievement and that light of, um, of, of I can do something, I can do this. And if we can help them find that portal in each child, they, they're able to, to start to really teach that child so they can, their education process can follow in very quickly behind that self-confidence. It's quite a large business business model that you've got. What have been some of the challenges that you've had to face and how have you overcome them? Well, every time we've grown, we've had to pretty much break the model and rebuild. So every time you scale, you have to forget about how you got there. You have to actually build a new model. Um, and that seems to happen about every three to five years. Either the technology doesn't carry you or your staffing mentality doesn't carry you or you as as the leader, uh, me as the leader, I've had to change dramatically, you know, metamorph probably three or four times to get to uh, to be able to manage the business now. And and I'm, I'm still going through my own evolution. Um, I think the, um, the changes are still coming. Probably the most significant change has been to learn to become a better leader. Uh, companies can be forgiven all kinds of sins, but if the leadership is good and the pure, there's an intent of purity about what, um, what you're trying to achieve, people will get behind you and they'll back you. Very much so. 
from more of a nuts and bolts perspective, good businesses rely on the dedication of their trainers and support crew. So yeah. how have you managed your employees? Um, the first stage has really been our selection process. Before an employee comes on board, uh, they have to fill out a um, it's about a 30-question psych test. And, and essentially what we're trying to do is establish what drives them, what do they value, how do they respond in tricky situations. And the right questions will actually tell you a great deal about a person. So once we establish that their values are aligned with ours, then we go through the process of, uh, of teacher training and in that process, we dig deeper into their core value. And a core value is actually quite fascinating because mine will be different to yours, different to anybody else's. And, uh, and there's a very specific process of reaching what that core value is. Um, and it's usually a deep personal void in each person that once you tap on it, every time you speak to that employee, you speak in that paradigm. So, for example, one of my teachers, uh, her core value is hope. She, she grew up in a very challenging um, upbringing where there was no hope. So she is giving, every time she interacts with students, she's giving them hope. Now, it, it could well be a meaningless word to you and I, but to her, that was the key. And so every single, to answer your question, Every single teacher, every single employee uh, is in the business for their own personal reason and it's that personal reason aligns to the values of the coal company. That's so great. That's very impressive. Tell me, how, how did you navigate your way through 2020 being such a hallmark challenge for so many businesses and continues to be now what did you put in place in order to keep the continuity well, of your of your operation going uh andy i think like every business that has face-to-face -face teaching we we pretty much plummeted in about in march 2020 um i remember the day when over a million dollars worth of uh school classes were basically canned overnight it was completely wiped off the face and uh we ha i had at that moment i had no idea what to do um one of the one of the things we're trying to teach these kids is is resilience and lateral thinking so i thought well how how can i be resilient how can i have lateral thinking and and you know pivot and, and change direction so we basically created an online competition, online classes very quickly, um, like you or like the rest of us, learned how, how Zoom operated and fumbled and bumbled for a while of the first iterations, but we, we finally got there. Um, but the online competition was quite extraordinary because we, we had to change our whole software system to be able to cope. Uh, so if you could imagine we managed to engage around 3,000 students to compete in this online 
online competition. Thousands of videos that, that, that were recorded individually, uh, each couple. Actually, uh, each couple wasn't even allowed to dance together. They had to dance a, a metre apart, which was interesting. <laughs> um, and then we had to um, upload these videos. The first iteration failed miserably because the video footage just slowed the, the, the website down dramatically. So we had to buy a, our own server and our own server housed a second website which housed thousands of videos and the original website, which is where everyone, where, which interfaced with all the, all the parents, that one um, looked, looked and ran relatively seamlessly. So we, were ma- we managed to actually still make a living. Um, all the teachers got paid. Uh, we, you know, we got through the year quite comfortably, um, but it was definitely the online competition that, that saved us. Very innovative. You had a prolific career in the ballroom arena. What are some of the keys and key areas on maintaining focus leading up to a major event? Oh, great question. It was actually uh, I developed how I focus over years when I was a competitor. And it was a step-by-step process to actually get into the right mental state to compete um, because there's so many things that can go wrong in a competition, as, as I'm sure happens in martial arts as well. But the, um, so basically it would be a lot of visualisation, um, visualising the event at the floor, the venue, walking in, how the first round will go, how the second round will go, um, feeling the pain of the third and fourth rounds where you, your heart and lungs are just about to burst. and uh, But sort of going through the comp again and again and again in your head and what you need to feel like in your energy and your your emotion to be able to deliver that that level of competition. I watch the ballroom dance, dancers when they when they're competing, and I see that they they seem to be just floating with such ease and such grace. And you never you never really think that they they're having a cardio workout. <laughs> they, the best description I've had of world class dancing is that it feels like you're in a car crash. <laughs> the the, the G forces on you are are huge, and and you just don't you can't see it because they make it look so easy, but your body is uh, it's like you're spinning in a car. <laughs> it's quite it's quite amazing feeling. So uh, yeah, they they do make it look effortless. How do you prepare your current students to have the same champion attitude? Um. Do they have the same champion attitude? Do, is that something you encourage? Look, we is the winning we and losing do, aspect of the competition important. Okay, look, um, the best way to answer that is we we move our students into three dis- distinct different directions, and it's they select the direction. The first one is the students who just want to uh, they want to achieve, so they may be looking for uh, accreditation or um, uh, you know, sort of earning their medals as a bronze, silver, gold, that kind of thing, a bit like uh, karate belts, I imagine, or, um, you know, martial arts belts. Um, 
that's not necessarily competition, it's just accreditation or moving through grades. Um, the, second, the second one is affiliation where they attend competitions but they really just want to meet people or see their friends or enjoy the process. They, they don't really care where they place. So we don't push those kids to winning competitions. They, they just do their thing. Um, and they enjoy it, and we make sure that that dialogue is around. You know, are you coming with your friends? Are you you? Uh, uh, is this something you you know you're enjoying? And they're the kids who get on Facebook and or, and you know like to talk about it there. The third group are your competitors, and they take it very seriously. And we provide a, um, I suppose, an elite training program and a vision for them to go from where they are to national and then international competition. So we, we do have elite training um, trainers who from around the country come in to work with them, uh, plus our uh, I've got one, two, three world champions working in the company that can take them into those genres so that they can take them up to a very high level um, through their training programs. So... Uh, so yeah, the, the ones who are identified as wanting to be competitors, we definitely give them a very clear pathway to the top. You you made you even made an appearance on Dancing with the Stars, I believe. Yeah, I did indeed. Yeah. Legend Swimmer Dawn Fraser. I have to ask you, how was that entire experience? Look, it was um, it was an incredible experience. Uh, number one, working with. Uh, with Dawn, who had won uh, eight or nine gold Olympic medals. Uh, she was considered the athlete of the century um, by the International Olympic Council. Uh, she, a, a female athlete of the century in, in uh, last century. Uh, l- learning from such an incredible athlete was, was an amazing experience. The second thing was... Working with TV cameras, um, like we, you would dance in the in Channel 7's um, studio and there might be 50, 60 people in the room, which is a very small audience for us. Uh, normally, you know, I'd, you'd be dancing in front of thousands of people. So it felt quite intimate. And th- what really struck me was the next day going out into the street you know, going to a coffee shop, going into the pub, going anywhere you like, absolutely everybody had seen me dance the night before with Dawn. And the audience was something like two and a half million people. Uh, it, it, that was uh, like a, uh, an inst- instant sort of fame that you don't know what it feels like until you're there. It's a bit, bit unnerving, I've got to say, but uh, a wonderful experience. Social media is such a huge part of business these days, particularly in your case whereby your primary focus is on empowering children. Do you have and how do you manage your social media strategy? Um, look, um, we the social media strategy is really communicating with parents. So it's speaking in their paradigm. Uh, everything is referring to your child. It's not the child. So we we constantly focus through the parent's eyes 
to their children. Also, dealing with children, you've got to make sure that um, you you actually work in closed groups, that you're not on a public forum because obviously for um, protection of children. Uh, and the parents are very comfortable with that. If, if they know it's a closed group and it's parents only, they're very comfortable with you sharing uh, video footage or photographs in that, that arena. Um, I found the parents actually very appreciative of of what we do. Um, so, you know, we interact with them quite a lot on, on social media um, and, and sort of build our community that way. Do you have a marketing strategy or do you find that good old word of mouth is your main driver? Um, well, the, the marketing strategy is actually through, is through word of mouth, but it's not just potluck. <clears throat> so, for example, because we work a lot in schools, we develop relationships with all the school teachers. We offer them, um, we actually offer them free dance classes. Uh, we, we want them to engage in the program and feel like they're a part of it and that they really want to do it. Now, school teachers tend to move around a lot, so they'll, they will actually seed plant for us in new schools. So it's a, it's a, a, a very um, low-cost propagation into new schools. You, you, if you're emailing schools or if you're ringing them up, you're wasting your time. You actually need to know somebody in every single location to be able to get in the door. And that would um, take time. Say again? That would take time. Oh, it's it, time and it's, it's incredibly um, time-wasting. Um, but to propagate within the local community is actually through the school um, newsletters. You've got, a, you've got a very direct audience there. Um, so you have people who are engaged in the school close to the location as in close to the location where we have after-school programs. Um, we hire school halls. We, we, again, we get involved in their community. Um, dancing is a, is a great community builder and it actually crosses, cuts across many other sports. So, for example, uh, I'm in discussion at the moment with some major sporting organisations in the country uh, in regards to respect for women, how, how are their young sports people, their boys, learning how to res be respectful to women in, in their own sport and in their community? Because as they grow up to be sporting superstars, we know what that can turn into. So they take this direction very seriously uh, and um, yeah, the, the – um, prevention of violence in, in homes, et cetera, um, and domestic violence. Th oddly enough, dancing and what we do is, is definitely a strong step towards reducing that violence. Well, how it appears to me, Gordon, is that it must start with passion. Your passion leads, as you said before, that good leadership is something which provides a, foot, a, a footprint for everyone to follow you and 
That, that would require passion. But what, what is it that drives you on from day to day? If, if we circle back to core values, I ha- your core value is something that can never be filled. You, you can do it. If we had, uh, we've got 13,000 kids. If we had a million kids in the program, I would be looking for the next million. Not because of money, but because I, the more I, children I can reach and uh, affect the more fulfilling it is for me. So essentially um, I, my core value is, uh, you know, when I was a kid I felt like I was one of the invisible ones. I was, you know, in, in, the, in the cracks of the floorboards basically invisible in school. I wasn't good at sport. I wasn't good academically. I was, you know, very beige and very, uh, you know, I really struggled. And I, I identify with those kids when I see them. You, you know, you can walk into the school, I can see them immediately, the ones who are basically invisible. And I try to um, give them the opportunity to actually step out of the shadows and feel like they're living a fulfilling life or they're, they're, they're doing something that's meaningful for them. So I guess that's, that's what drives me. I'd like to finish off with this question. What has been your best investment, body, mind, or spirit? I'm Great sorry question. for um, catching, no. you on, catching you out with this one, but this is something. No, no. It's, it's actually uh, it's very, uh, it's a very close to my thinking. Um, so the, uh, your, answer, your question is the best investment. Um, it, it, for me, it's understanding the chain that if you control your body through through your physicality but also control your your base desires uh, and your sort of low I'll call it lower human behavior if you can control that then your mind is controlling your body you control your mind through your meditation and through your habit change you choose your habits and and that's just one of the hardest things. So I think to answer your question, the best investment for me has been learning how to choose my habits and then forcibly bring them into action. The third level is your, your spirit. Your spirit controls your mind. Your mind controls your body. What controls your spirit is your connection to source. So if you whether you believe in God or whether you believe in a source or uh, a, um, a universal energy and power, which whatever your personal belief is, if you connect to that, that will then feed through the chain. Great answer. I can see, I can see where you and I get on because there's so many uh, common areas of the way that I approach my martial arts education and the way you, you, you approach your dance education, I think it's one of the reasons we've always gone on so well. Most likely. Most likely. Gordon, I've had a great time talking with you, talking with you this morning and I think there's lots to, to go away and think about and I, I'm sure that 
my listeners are going to really enjoy listening to your perspective on how dance can be a winning way of life. Oh, look, Andy, thank you, and and it's an absolute privilege to uh, uh, to be interviewed by you. I, I've I've admired your career and your achievements, and uh, uh, you as a person, uh, the integrity that you've approached. Uh, all of your your dealings and your business it's been an inspiration to me and and it's a great privilege to uh to be interviewed by you and and um be able to contribute something to your community so thank you very much for this chance thanks gordon hand on my heart i appreciate everything you've said thanks mate take care andy